that, guys. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn real quick again to Genesis chapter 3. Before we go there, I want us to, I don't know if, you, if, you're, if your church does this, maybe for some, um, it seems kind of an older generation kind of thing, but I still think it's valid to do, that every once in a while you just need to stop and remember, okay, what are we reading? We've looked at this as God's truth, so this is God's word, and there's times we'll stand up in honor of all these different people or different things that happen, and sometimes you just need to stand in the in the to, be, to show honor to the reading of his word. And so I, I was just wondering if, if you could do me a favor. We're just going to read Isaiah 53, 2 to 6. I'm going to read it out loud. But could you do me a favor? Could we stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Could we stand? Realizing that this passage was written six to 700 years before Jesus shows up. And yet it's all about him. Says this, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Jesus, we honor you. We honor you for your sacrifice. Jesus, you're the one that said that no one takes your life from you. You're the one that laid it down, and you're the one that would bring it back up again. Father, I pray that as we dive into this, that for so many, maybe it's become redundant or it's something that they're used to, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would awaken us, awaken in us all this passion and true grateful appreciation for the cross of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak, that you keep my opinion to myself, my agenda to myself, may it only be you. And in all that you do, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. And so picture the scene, Adam and Eve covered in leaves, standing before God. God had already asked, what did you guys do? What have you done? And they passed the blame. But God had to what? He had to punish 
He had to curse. He, that's just like he said that he would. He curses the serpent, curses the woman, cur- curses the man. And there they are. I mean, think of the defeat that they're experiencing. The shame they're already experiencing, and they're covered by what? Anything that they could find that they thought would take care of the problem. And yet it's not really taking care of the problem. And then you get to verse 21, and it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and it says this, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You sit there and go, really, that's one of your favorites? Like, maybe you need to find a life. Like, that's just like a narrative. Let's just say he just made some clothes. Yeah, but think about it for just a second, friends. He made them garments of skins. They're standing there with leaves, and he looks at them and says, okay, come here. They didn't ask. They didn't make some kind of request of God. He just saw them in their shame and in their sin and saw what they tried to cover themselves, knowing that that would not be right. And so he says, come here. And it says that God made them garments of skins and clothed them. But here's the thing, though. How do you get garments of skin? How do you get skin from an animal? You have to what the animal? You have to kill it. Guys, you realize that this is the first killing of something that's innocent so that there's a shedding of blood so that God could cover the sin and, the sin and shame of others. Guys, do you realize that in the same chapter we broke it, this is God's declaration that one day he would fix it. How would he fix it? When Jesus shows up in John chapter 1, I think we looked at this passage, and John the Baptist sees Jesus come. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why would he bring this up? Because the people had been waiting. They'd been looking in the scriptures going, okay, there's a Messiah coming. There's a Messiah coming. And John gives this title, the Lamb of God. Why is this so necessary that Jesus is known as the Lamb of God? Guys, I know I make fun of that book, Leviticus, because it's really hard to read. It's like, you need to have this kind of sacrifice and this kind of sacrifice for this sin. And it just goes through all these offerings and sacrifices. And you sit and go, I don't understand the point. Here's why we don't get it. We don't have to do that because Jesus fulfilled all of it. Like Jesus, all of that pointed to what Jesus would come and do. So when we read, guys, and I think it's so vitally important to read the book of Leviticus. Can I just give you a little bit of advice how to do it? When you read the book of Leviticus, read it under the umbrella that God is holy. And to approach him, there has to be what? The shedding of blood for the sins of others by someone who was innocent in order that we could be in the presence of God. And so we fast forward three years from when Jesus shows up and John declares, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is sitting with his disciples around a table. And Jesus' countenance is so different this night. And Jesus takes off his outer garment and puts on an apron and fills up a, a bowl with water and begins to go to the feet of his disciples and begins to wash their feet. Guys, this is the lowliest of lowly jobs that anyone could take. This is what the servant of servants did. And here comes Jesus, God in the flesh, taking the form of the servant of servants to wash the feet of his disciples, even Judas Iscariot, who would betray him to death. And then he gets to Peter, good old Peter, 
Peter goes, no, no, you're not doing that. And Jesus goes, I know you don't understand this, but it has to be like this. I mean, Jesus is patient with them, knowing that this makes no sense. And even after Jesus says, I know this doesn't make sense, but this is how it has to be, Peter goes, you will not do this. And Jesus goes, then you have no part with me. See, once Jesus explains something, hey, I know it doesn't make sense to you, but you got to trust me. And you still say, no. He's like, then you got to trust me. No, I'm just going to bring it straight forward to you. Because right after, right after he says, then you have no part with me, Peter goes, okay, not just my feet. Just give me a bath. And I'm like, that's awkward. And then Jesus looks at all of them and says, one of you will betray me over to death tonight. Guys, what was it like when Jesus washed the feet of the one who would betray him? I mean, did Jesus choke up? Did he, did he tear up? Did Judas look away because he look, couldn't look into the face of Jesus? And then all the disciples start asking this question, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? It's like, man, what kind of guys did you get around you? All of them are wondering, am I going to betray to death? Are you all thinking that you should? And he goes, it's the one who dips a piece of bread into the bowl with me. And there's Judas. And he looks at him and says, do what you must do. He says that Judas walked away. He left, filled by Satan, to go find religious leaders to tell him where Jesus would be all by himself. Why? Because the people loved him. So they needed to find Jesus when he was alone so they could arrest him. And Judas leaves and he looks at the other disciples and says, all of you are going to desert me tonight. You're all going to leave. Guess who spoke up first? Peter. Peter's like, no, mm -mm. no, no. He even says this, even if all of these, even if they all do it, I won't do it. I'll go to jail. No, no, no. I would die with you, Jesus. And Jesus looks at Simon Peter and says, oh, Peter, they're just going to bolt. You're going to deny even knowing me out loud three times before morning. Can you imagine that would just rock him? It's not going to happen. All the disciples are like, no, we're not leaving. So they finish the dinner. They go to this Mount of Olives, this place that Jesus probably regularly went to for prayer. That's why Judas knew where to find him. The disciples go, then he takes the three. Peter, James, and John says, come with me. And then he stops and says, you need to pray. Just stay here and pray. The Bible says that Jesus goes about a stone's throw away, collapses to the ground, and he begins to pray. One of the things that he prays, he says this, Abba, you know what the word Abba means? Like we think it means father. I've never, called my, my, I've never called my dad father, unless I'm joking. Like I've never walked in and gone, father. Father, may I speak with thee? I've never done that. Abba is the word for papa or dada. It's what a one-year-old calls dad. So when he says Abba, as he's on the ground, he's just in agony. He says, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. What's the cup when he says, take this cup from me? What's he talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, the cup was a representation of the wrath of God. And so what he's saying is, Father, take your wrath from me. In other words, what I think Jesus is really saying is this. I, I don't want to go. 
I don't want to go to the cross. Is there any other way? Papa, is there any other way? The Father never answers according to the word. Then Jesus goes back to the three. You know what they were doing? Sleeping. You remember the guys, especially Peter? Man, I, I won't desert. I would even die with you. Homeboy's knocked out. He's sleeping. I mean, he can't even stay awake. And I used to judge them for that, but it's late at night. Has anyone ever, <laughs> anyone here ever tried to pray when, like, after you get into bed and realize that this is not a wise decision? Right? Are you with me? Like, you get, it's not when it's hot, because that's not uncomfortable. When it's cold, and you get in, you're like, oh my gosh, it's starting to warm This is it. Then you start the wiggle. You know the wiggle? You're like, where is it? Where is it? Where? Boop, there it is. And then you start to pray. Dear Jesus, I just want to, done, you're gone. And 12 and a half hours later, you wake up going, amen. I was just in prayer all night. I used to judge him until I realized I'm the same way. But he looks at him and he says, guys, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have to pray. You have to pray. And the Bible says he goes away and again prays the same thing. But there's also something that he prayed, and if, you, if, we had read, if we read through John 17, if you want to do that sometime tonight, please do, but this is his prayer in the garden. In John chapter 17, around verse 23 or 24, it's the only time when I see Jesus say, but this is what I want. Every other time you see Jesus pray or speak, he always says things like, I only do the things that I see the Father doing. I only say the things that I hear the Father saying. And here he's saying, Father, this is what I want. You know what he said? Here's what he says. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all my glory. Guys, you realize that we're involved in that prayer? We're included in that prayer? Out of anything that Jesus could want, he says, I want them. I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in all my glory. Guys, if you were to ask me to tweet scripture in one tweet, which I don't understand the purpose of Twitter. It's just an, it's just an opportunity for adults to just turn into children. Here's what I think it is. Watch, watch, watch. Hold on. Here's, I think, the whole message of the Bible. God with us, that we might be with him. God with us, that we might be with him. From cover to cover, you see it over and over. And here as he's praying, Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. And he goes back and he sees his disciples and they're sleeping. And he goes away again and he continues to pray. And the Father doesn't seem to be answering. And then Luke, he's the only one that, he's the only one that records this and he was a doctor in his gospel account, he says that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. He said, well, is that maybe it's just it's poetic license, just trying to explain the agony. Go, no, no, no. Do you realize that there's a medical condition called hematidrosis, that when you're under enough stress or you're terrified of something, the capillaries in your forehead will burst, and you will begin to sweat drops of blood with your sweat. Jesus is terrified of what's coming. 
The Father never speaks, but angels come to what? Minister to him. I wonder what they said to him. You ever wonder? For those that know that part, like, what did they do? Wouldn't that feel like this weird ministry? It's like, who's ever done this for Jesus? At some point, Jesus walks over to the three, and he sees from this distance this little mound of people. So can you imagine just kind of kicking the three guys, get up, come on, get up, my betrayer's at hand. But Jesus is different now. See, his countenance has changed from complete terror and fear to now determination. How do I know? Because the Bible says that as this mound of people came toward Jesus, guess who was leading the way? Judas Iscariot. Can you imagine as the three get up and the others kind of get around Jesus and they're looking, they're going, is that Judas? The Bible says that Jesus walked straight toward him. He didn't cower back. He didn't wait. He walked toward them. At what point do you think that Judas went, oh, this might not have been a good idea. They didn't find Jesus hiding behind a rock, behind a tree. He didn't take off running where they had to catch him. He walked straight toward them. Friends, there's not been a manlier man on the planet than Jesus. He says, who are you guys looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I'm he. As the Bible says, they all hit the floor. And I don't know, it doesn't say why. But my guess is when he said, I am, maybe a little bit of his glory leaked out. I have no clue. But something caused them to drop. And then they all get back up. He's like, hey, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you I'm he. And they all hit the floor again. And they get up. Judas walks forward and kisses him on the cheek. You know why, you know why he kissed him on the cheek? Because he told them, he told, this, he told the temple guards, hey, the one that I kiss on the cheek, that's the one. Arrest him. Guys, you realize he betrayed him with a sign of friendship. And when he did, Jesus called him friend. Not by a show of hands. You ever been wrongly accused for something? And here comes Jesus going, I get it. Jesus was completely innocent, did nothing. He got it, and he understands you. So the temple guards start to bind him, and all of a sudden, guess who starts to come to the rescue? Peter. All of a sudden, he pulls out this little sword and hacks off a dude's ear. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, so either he's a great swordsman. He pulls out, he's like, shabah. Who's next? Or maybe, I'm thinking it's more like this. Ah! Like, like, what were you aiming for, Peter? You got his ear. And then maybe that's why Jesus is like, oh, Peter, put it away. Put it away. That is embarrassing. But the Bible says that Jesus goes up and picks up the ear. I know. Then goes and puts it on Malchus's head and heals him. I'm not going to lie. I would put it on backwards. Just because. It's like, well, now you can hear people talk behind your back. You're welcome. Guys, he heals them. Don't you think that at some point when Jesus does that, one of those temple guards would be like, guys, no, no, no. This is not it. We shouldn't do this. But no one does it. Why? Because this had been set in motion before time began. 
How do I know? In Ephesians chapter 1, around verse 4, it says this, that before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. That means before God said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. The plan of salvation was already in motion before he created anything. This was going to happen. And so as they began to bind him, all the disciples take off, every single one of them, and he's deserted, just like he said. They take him to the courtyard of the high priest's house, not to the temple, it's the middle of the night, which is an illegal trial. They take him in. John finds Peter, sneaks him in. Now this fake trial is about to begin, and Peter's standing there, warming himself. A little girl, a little servant girl comes walking and says, you were with him. <clears throat> He's like, I don't know the man. No, 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 I've seen you. To the little girl, he's like, I don't know him. Another one, another man comes up and says, dude, I can tell you were with him. I can tell by your accent. And Peter says something like this. May, may God damn me, I don't know the man. And the rooster crowed. The Bible says that Jesus looked straight into the eyes of Peter from where he was sitting. And Peter ran away and wept bitterly. And then the trial starts, and all these false witnesses come and start sharing all these false stories, but none of the, none of the testimonies worked together. So at some point, the high priest just gets irritated, just stands up and says, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And from this moment on, you'll see the Son of Man come in the clouds. And why would he say that? Why? Because in the book of Daniel, it's a prophetic message about the coming of the Messiah. I mean, Jesus just says it, says it straight up. He asked, Jesus gave the honest answer, and the high priest goes, oh, we need to kill him. Friends, if you want to ask Jesus a question, you better make sure that you're ready for his answer. You might not like it, and he might call you the mat. But praise him, he will always be honest with us. So they take a vote. They all say crucify him. They can't do it themselves, and so they, we're going to fast forward through some of this. They take him to Pilate. Pilate says, you know what, I don't want to deal with this. Send him to Herod. Take him to Herod. He's kind of a fake king. Take him to Herod. Herod's like, hey, do some tricks. Tell me some stories. Do something. And Jesus pretty much isn't saying anything. No show for this guy. So Herod's like, I don't want to deal with it. Send him back to Pilate. So he gets to Pilate. Pilate starts to ask him questions. It's almost like, do you understand what they're charging you with? And Peter, or Jesus is silent. He's not saying anything. Religious leaders are still accusing, and Jesus is just standing there. Friends, this isn't the normal response of a person who's being accused falsely. But he's just standing there, and, and the result should be death, and he's just quietly standing there. The conversation continues to go on, and they talk about truth, and then there's this one point where Pilate looks at him and says, do you not understand that I have the power to release you? And then Jesus speaks, and this is my paraphrase of, his, of what it is that he said. It's something like this, oh, Pilate, you're JV, welcome to varsity. Like, you think you have this power? Like, no one gets any power that my father doesn't give to them. Someone's like, I could call down, I could call down thousands of angels to deliver me. Pilate, you're a pawn in something that's put into motion that you will never understand. 
right now. It says from that moment on, Pilate tried to get him released. So religious leaders are throwing all these accusations. They even say, oh, he claims to be a king, which is directly against Caesar. you got to take care of him. But according to our law, he needs to die. Pilate says, I haven't found anything in him of what he's told me that he's worthy of death, so I'll have him flogged. Friends, this is flogging. So they would take Jesus, picture a vertical beam, and they would take Jesus and strip him of his clothing so he's naked. Then they would tie his wrist to this vertical beam so that his back is completely stretched out and exposed. Then you have two Roman guards, one on each side, each of of them having what's called the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails, picture this, picture a stick about 18 inches in length and leather strips coming at the end, coming from the end of that and tied at the end of those leather strips are pieces of razor and glass and bone and sharp rock. It's a claw. 39 times from his neck to his calves, they would come across the back of Jesus. But they would do it in such a way, I mean, these guys were masterful at what they were doing. They would come across the back, and then when they would pull it, they'd pull it to make sure that it came to the angle, that it ripped open his back. Friends, this is not a whipping, this is a mutilation. Can you imagine the pain Jesus is going through as he's getting ready, and then bam! And he just over and over, 39 times. Why only 39? That seems like a weird number. Because too many people died at 40, so they brought it back one to show mercy. Can you imagine that as, when they were finished, they untie his wrist and he collapses to the ground. Blood is just pouring out of his body. And then they pick him up. The Roman guard finds these thorns and makes a crown out of it. And then one other one finds this purple robe and puts it on him. And then they take the crown and put it on his head. And according to the Bible, to make sure that the crown of thorns stayed there, they took a rod and smashed it into his skull. Then they blindfold him. They started beating him with rods, punching him in the face and saying, oh, prophesy, who hit you? They take the blindfold off and standing before five to six hundred Roman guards, all of those guards then begin to bow, not in honor but in mockery, all hail, king of the Jews. All hail, king of the Jews. And Jesus is just standing there. Can you imagine one eye swollen, his face marred, blood pouring, and Jesus stands there saying nothing. And they take Jesus back before Pilate. Again, Pilate's tried to get him released. And so he looks at the crowd. He says, hey, it's it's normal during this time that I release one prisoner for you. And guys, he comes up with this plan, and I think it's it's supposed to be obvious. In his mind, he thinks, of course you're going to pick Jesus instead of Barabbas. So he's like, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? Jesus or the murderer? Jesus or the insurrectionist? Jesus or the terrorist? Like, which one do you want? Can you imagine the shock that Pilate experienced when all of a sudden people go, give us Barabbas. Can you imagine the shock on Barabbas' face? What do you want me to do with him? What do you want me to do with Jesus? 
And all of a sudden, the chant starts. Crucify him. Crucify him. Come on. Crucify him. Crucify him. And the crowd is just going nuts. And the crowd is screaming it. Can you imagine Pilate's face? Guys, this is what's mind-blowing. Less than a week before, this same group of people, as Jesus is riding on the colt of a donkey, they're all putting palm, palm branches down before him. They're honoring him. They're screaming out all, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Why would they do that? Because on that day, Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy made in Daniel. On that day, the Messiah would ride in on the colt of a donkey. And they're looking, going, this is him. This is the Messiah. And they're screaming out the word Hosanna. It does not mean hallelujah or praise the Lord. It means this, save now. Save now. Save us now. Save us now. On that day, they're screaming, going, this is the Messiah. And less than a week later, they're saying, kill him. Crucify him. We can be so fickle. Isn't it amazing how feelings can take over? So Pilate goes and signs the edict, hands it off, washes his hands in front of the people and said, his blood is now on your hands and on your head. He says, not just on ours, but on our children as well. They take the robe off, they keep the crown there, and they place his own clothes on him again. And as they begin to start the 600-yard or so walk to his death. They take the crossbeam of the cross, not the whole cross, but the crossbeam. The crossbeam weighs between 80 to 120 pounds. They place it across the shoulders of Jesus in which he then embraces it and begins to walk. And as he's surrounded by Roman guards, why? Because as he's walking, people from the crowd are busting through and grabbing his beard and yanking it out and slapping him and spitting on him. And what does Jesus do? Like at some point, don't you think that you would sit and go, I'm done. I'm out. But what does he do? He keeps walking toward his death. Why? Because in a garden he prayed, Father, I want those that you have given to be with me where I am to see me in all my glory. At some point, the crossbeam becomes too heavy and he collapses to the ground. Guys, can you imagine all that he endured so far and then when you collapse to the ground to have 80 to 120 pounds flatten you, just land on top of you. He can't get up, he can't move. And so a Roman guard finds this guy, Simon. The guy's from Simon, he says, come here, pick it up. Mm -mm, I can't, that's a disgrace, pick it up. And what if he picked it up and as he's holding, kind of, kind of got up. And what if, as Jesus is trying to give, what if Simon helps him up? And what if, and I'm not saying this is in Scripture, but what if, what if Jesus looks at him and just mumbles something that Simon kind of got, kind of got some of it, but what if Jesus mumbled this? I want him to be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. And so Simon picks up the cross begins to walk and Jesus is walking and they're making a way through the crowd and he continues to walk toward Golgotha. And when they get there, it's called the place of the skull. They would attach the cross beam to the vertical beam. 
And then they would take Jesus and remember that he's, he was crucified between two criminals, so they're attaching criminals to those two crosses. But they would take Jesus and take the cross beam, attach it to the vertical beam as it's laying down. Then they would take Jesus, completely strip him of his clothing so that he's naked. Then they would lay him down on the cross. They would take one arm, completely stretch it out as far as they could, and drive a railroad spike between the two bones in his wrist. You say, well, I thought it was in his hand, like his palm. No, guys, in that culture, the hand was like the middle of the forearm to the fingers. Why there? Because it's a natural hook. Then they would take the other arm, completely stretch it out as far as they could, and drive a railroad spike through that wrist. They would take one foot, place it up over the other, bend up the knees, and drive a spike through both. And do you know what Jesus prayed in that moment? I mean, imagine with each slap of the mallet, each time it came down to hear him say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And I know that it says it in the, in, the, in the Gospels that it's like he said it one time, but the way that it's worded in the original language means that Jesus kept saying it over and over. He's just going, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, they don't know. Papa, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Over and over, he's crying out for the forgiveness of those who are killing him. For those that are not followers of Jesus, do you maybe, can you maybe see why we are so passionate about him? Because of what he was willing to do for us. And as he's attached to the cross, and they begin to move the cross to vertical. And as it got closer to vertical, can you imagine gravity that was created by the one who's on the cross became too became too strong or too powerful for the one on the cross and began to pull his body down because how he was attached to the cross and the weight of his body, all of a sudden, because of that, his elbows would dislocate, his shoulders would dislocate. And he'd be left there to die. At nine in the morning, he's attached to that cross. Friends, on the cross, you didn't die from being, like, you didn't die from bleeding to death. Guys, there's historical records of people being crucified who would be on the cross alive for two weeks. This was Rome's way. Do not mess with us, because if you do, this is what comes. It was so, it was so graphically horrible that no Roman citizen could ever be crucified. The way that you died from crucifixion is suffocation. You can't breathe. And so while he's hanging down, he can inhale, but in order to exhale, he has to push up on the spike in his feet and pull up on the spikes that are in his wrists the best that he can. So don't picture these long, it'd be like, for six hours, he's just trying to breathe. That's why you don't see him speak all that much from the cross. And yet, I don't think this is why. I don't think this is the ultimate reason why Jesus sweat drops of blood. At nine in the morning, he's attached to a cross. At noon, when it's supposed to be the brightest, it goes dark like midnight. And Jesus is still hanging there. And as it gets closer to the ninth hour, then Jesus speaks. He prays. Can you imagine the agony of pushing up on his feet, pulling up on the wrist, or the, the spikes in his wrist? And he just says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. What does that mean? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Friends, it's the only time that I see Jesus pray where he doesn't call God Father. Every other time I see him pray in the Gospels, he calls him Father except in this moment. Why? Friends, this is my, this is my understanding of it. In this moment, at this moment, Jesus became what's called the propitiation. What's that word? It's a big old word. What's it mean? Jesus became the new target of the full and complete wrath of God for the sin of the world. Every person who lived before, who was alive in that moment, and all of us to follow after that moment. Jesus took on the weight of the wrath of God. He experienced the weight and the shame of every sin, every sinner, everything that we've done. He experienced it all. Why did it have to be Jesus, who is divine and God? Why did it have to be him to go through this? Because no one else, no one else could endure the weight of the wrath of God. This is why I think he sweat drops of blood. Jesus said, no one, like I said earlier, no one takes my life. I lay it down, and I take it back up. And we think of the agony of Jesus. Have you ever stopped to think, what was the agony of the Father? What was he feeling and experiencing? What was the Holy Spirit experiencing? Can you imagine angelic beings looking, going, what is this? Can you imagine Michael the archangel pulling out a sword saying, send me, I'll kill them all, I'll destroy them all, I'll defend the son. The father stays silent. Guys, just like we can't explain creation, angels don't understand grace. This was grace. And then, about right after he says this, he says pretty loudly, Father. Now he calls him Father again. The one who's poured out his wrath, and Jesus feels completely forsaken. Not only did his friends leave him, but the Father left him. Jesus was forsaken so that we never would have to be. That is so important for us to remember. Jesus was forsaken so that we would never have to experience that. And then it says that he prayed with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. How do I know that God is good? Because Jesus, who just experienced all of that, then entrusted his spirit to the Father who is good and calls him Father. And then can you picture with a loud voice as he's hanging there, he cries that out and just kind of gets the last one out. And he just goes, it is finished! And dies. Guys, it is finished. Literally what he said in that moment. It's a banker's term. Do you know what it means? It's a banker's term that means this. Paid in full. It's paid in full. All of the sacrifices... All of those sacrifices pointed to this moment, and this moment means all of the sacrifices, everything that's necessary, it's paid in full. When Jesus died, there was a centurion standing in front of him. Centurion's kind of in charge of a certain amount group of Roman, Roman guards or Roman soldiers. When Jesus died, the earth shook. The scene shifted to the temple. 
And in the temple, there's what's called the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That's the place that the high priest would go into once a year. The David's moment to present a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. One time out of the year. Why? Because no one was, quote, unquote, holy enough to go back there because they believed that that's where the very presence of God was. But what separated the most holy place from the rest of it was this curtain. The most scholars believe is 18 inches thick, give or take. And that curtain was torn from top to bottom. So picture Jesus saying, it is finished. He breathes out his last. The scene shifts to the temple. That curtain was torn from top to bottom as if the father sliced it open and said, you now have access to me because why? It's been paid in full. Guys, you realize Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. And about 3 p.m. he died in the Old Testament, there's two sacrifices that were made every day. Guess what times? About nine in the morning and about three in the afternoon. Even Jesus fulfilled that. Why would he do this? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus prayed, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am to see me in all my glory. And here's what I think happens a lot of times. We hear this story and go, I feel horribly guilty. Guys, you think, I'm going to catch this. The writer of Hebrews nails it. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says something like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're supposed to get rid of this sin and this and all this weight that entangles us and bears us down, we're supposed to what? We're supposed to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the what? Joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy, what was the joy set before him? What was the joy that caused Jesus to continue to walk forward, to keep going to the cross? What was it about? What was the joy? Guys, here's the joy, us. We were the joy that kept him going. He wanted us. He loves us. Even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. And Jesus was taken down from the cross. He was placed into a borrowed tomb. It wasn't even his own. Can you imagine? The stone was rolled. It was sealed. Even if the disciples watched from a distance. Man, can you, can you feel the finality of it? We always think of Friday. You ever wonder what it felt like on Saturday? The hopelessness of it all? And are some of you in that place called Saturday? The hopelessness of it all? And for those who say, I just don't know if I can believe this. That's okay. You're in great company because you know who else didn't believe it? All of the disciples. None of them believed it. No one believed he was coming back. How do I know? Because nobody stayed outside the tomb waiting. They didn't like get a good rest on Saturday going, we got to get up early. Jesus come back. Jesus coming back from the dead. They didn't show up with signs and balloons. They didn't go, oh, countdown, 10, 9, nothing like that. They were all hiding. But at some point, the earth shook, the stone rolled away. Why? Because at some moment, Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. 
That's what our hope is in. The cross is unbelievable. It is so generous and beautiful. But without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. Because if Jesus couldn't beat death, then neither can we. Jesus came back from the dead, just like he said he would. Friends, if he can do that, he can do anything. Too good to be true? Welcome to the gospel. The gospel's too good to be true. Friends, I can't do enough good things to make myself right with God, neither can you. So because of that, Jesus came and paid the price so that we could be made right with God. How do I know that he loves us? Because of a cross. That's how I know. Even when circumstances don't play out right, I know he loves me. Why? Because he took a cross. And because he took a cross and came back from the dead, I know that God can still do the what? He still does the miraculous. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender to Jesus as Lord, not to accept him into your life because that's not how it works. You surrender to him as Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, that word confess in the original language means to say something in such a way that your life will follow what you just stated. That's what that word confess means. Not just say some words. It means, okay, Jesus, you're Lord. The word Lord means master. If he's master, that means I've got no rights. It's all about you. I confess you as Lord. If you confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You call out to him, you will be saved. What you're doing is you're saying, okay, I've counted the cost. I've weighed it all. Jesus, I want to follow you. You're Lord of my life. And when you become a disciple of Jesus, the first thing he does is give you salvation. And that's the gift. You can't earn it, and he doesn't want to be paid back for it. He says, here's the gift. This is yours. Right standing before God. Forgiveness for your sins of the past, the present, the things you haven't even done yet. You're forgiven. It's called in Christ. You are seen as holy as Jesus is because you belong to him. That's what the Bible says. But I want you to understand this. You do not have to stand up. It's like Brian that takes away the, the emotional experience. I know. I'd rather you make a real decision rather than one that's just driven by emotion because I think feelings and emotions are already driving people to make some really bad decisions. What I want you to do is I want you to think about it. Well, then why should I stand up? Because like I told you, when I was 17, I remember the day right where you two are sitting. That's where I was sitting. At 17 years old, I stood up and said, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm yours, whatever you want. The reason I say, hey, if you want to stand up and let us know you stood up, because you surrendered to Jesus sometime before tonight or you're surrendering to him tonight, is so that you can remember on July 28, 2022, is when I stood up and I made it known that I'm a follower of Jesus. That's when I surrendered my life to Jesus. So here's how we're going to do it. Every head up, every eye open. You're like, huh? We get to watch? Yes. I've never understood the head bowed, eyes shut thing. I know it gets more people to show up and like stand up, but I'm like, why does, it, why does one guy get to watch the miraculous? All of heaven celebrates. Think about it. All of heaven has this party when one who's lost comes home. All that's happening, and here's the Christians.
They're up there starting the party. They made some guac. They're having some chips, having a party. And we're down here just going, that's good. That's real good. Do you ever wonder if the angels are like, why do they do that? And God's like, I don't know. I never told them to. <laughs> I remember being at a camp when I first started the ministry. The guy's up front. Up front he does the same. Bow your head, close your eyes. But boom. For, well, I'm just starting out. Nobody peeking because I've started to peek. I'm like, <gasps> he's like, don't peek. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't send me to hell. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He says, hey, if you want to accept Jesus in your life, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. I'm like, where did that come from? Just raise your hand. That's what I do. Just raise your hand. And I'm looking at the passage. Confess through the mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Call out and he will save you. I'm like, just raise your hand. So he's like, oh, I see that hand. One, two, three. See that hand. Four, five. And my head's down. Five, six, 13. I'm like, five to 13. That doesn't make any sense. How do you get there? Man, you're stupid. You can't count. 13, 28, 706, 32,000. I'm like, there's 200 kids here. How are so many people getting saved? Because at some point, the preacher's ego needs to be stroked because we actually think we did it. And we have nothing to do with it. When someone passes from death to life, that is the miracle of God. And no other miracle compares with that. So friends, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you surrendered to Christ sometime this week so far, or tonight you're saying, I've never surrendered to Jesus, and I didn't understand it, but tonight I kind of get it. If tonight you want to say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, and you want to make it known to us so that we can celebrate with you, this is your opportunity to say, I want to surrender to Jesus. You've never done it before. If tonight you want to surrender to him as Lord of your life, received his gift of salvation and become a disciple of Jesus, would you stand up so we, all can, we can celebrate with you? Is there anybody in the room? Look around. I'm already saved. Look at each other. Awesome. 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 Praise God. Praise God. So rad. Fantastic. Okay, so don't sit down. Don't sit down. Stay right there. That's when I ask you questions. Just one word answer twice out loud. Ready? By your standing up, are you saying that you, that you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life? And by standing up, are you saying that you believe that he died on the cross, came back from the dead? You're calling out to him saved because you want to be his follower. Yes. Then welcome to the family. Yes. Now you guys can have a seat. Thank you. As the worship team comes back out, we're going to worship. We're going to do a song here. But as they come out, I want to ask another question. For the, some of you, you got to come home. Like at some point, you seriously, you decided to follow Jesus. But you don't anymore. 
You say, well, Brian, don't judge me. I'm still a follower of Jesus. Well, guys, there's one requirement to call yourself a follower of Jesus. It's the same rule that's in the, the little game we used to play, follow the leader. There's one rule. It's follow Jesus. And so how can you call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't follow? It's like me saying I'm married. I just don't, I'm just not practicing. It's like, Brian, that's pretty blunt. This isn't the first time I've been blunt this week, is it? Friends, if you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and you've walked off, you've wandered off, do you realize that Jesus is just waiting? The Father is just waiting for you to come back. How do I know? Because in Romans chapter 1, it says that he hands us over to our sin. That's God's wrath. He hands us over to our sin. Chapter 2, you need to read the whole thing. Go through chapter 1 down to chapter 2, and it says why. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, to turn back and to come to him. You read Luke 15. As a cabin, read the second half of Luke 15, and watch the prodigal son, when he comes to his senses, comes running back to his father. The father runs to him, doesn't let him do his speech, just welcomes him back. So for some of you, you need to come back. You need to repent. This isn't getting saved again. This is coming back. And friends, you should be recommitting to Jesus. You know how often? Every day. That's what this ring is. I got three things of bling. Three bling things. This one reminds me I'm married to a hot woman who loves Jesus. Nothing better. This one? This one? This is me and Jesus. Every time I put these on, it's a reminder. I'm committed to my wife. I'm committed to Jesus. And why do I wear a watch? So I know what time it is. But the other thing is... <laughs> Every time I put it on, it's like this reminder. God, my day is yours. Every minute belongs to you. Like, this isn't about me anymore. It's about you. Every day should be this commitment. Don't wait for camp. You should be confessing and repenting constantly. Why? Because there is freedom and liberty and healing when you do. So if you're here tonight and you need to come back, or if you're here tonight you're like, Brian, I'm just broken. I'm hurting so bad. And you just need God to do something to remind you he's got it. With everyone watching, would you stand up? If you're in one of those two camps. For those of you that are standing, whatever reason it is, whether it's I'm broken, let me remind you, if Jesus can pull off Easter, he's got you. For those that are coming back, what my prayer is that you don't feel guilt or shame. What I pray that you experience is unbelievable, limitless, holy grace. When you surrender to Jesus, I promise you this, when you give yourself fully to Christ, he gives himself fully to you. You are his, and no one and nothing can snatch you out of his Father's hand. You will make it. Why? Because he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion. You're his. So here's what we're going to do. Let me pray. We're going to thank Jesus. We're going to go into a song, and then somebody's going to come and explain what's next. But praise God, right? What a great night. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, thank you. It never gets old, God. It never gets old. 
in all that you've done and all that you'll continue to do because you're not done. To you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.